0: How are you doing there? Just a quickie before we start. On the Apple Podcast, why don't you double-click on David McWinions Plus? It's right there when you open the podcast. You get ad-free, you unlock early access. Just double-click, and away you go. David McWinions Plus. You get this pure and simple.
1: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves... Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving all of in June.
0: to understand the economy you have to understand human nature
2: this podcast is powered by Acast.
0: how are you doing there it is time for the podcast this is a very special week for me at least this is kilkonomics week we are kicking off this day next week which is Thursday the 3rd of November I'd like to say first of all thank you all very much for supporting this is going to be the biggest Kilkenomics ever which was always kind of worrying John because you know you come back after the pandemic you think are people going to go out well ticket sales have been people out- have died to get out outstanding outstanding <laughs> and in actual fact our only dilemma in Kilkenny is the lack of hotel beds the lack of Airbnbs yeah because, you know, you realize you bring a lot of people into a place like Kilkenny and the place fills up very, very quickly. But for those of you still looking to get tickets, and there are tickets still available, there are hotel beds. There is Carlo's only down the road. Mm-hmm. Waterford is only down the road. All these places that you can actually go to Kilkenny from, which probably don't have much going on this weekend down there. So have a gander at com. We have an extraordinary array of people coming in. Who kicks off? The kickoff? the actual kickoff now, John, is interesting. Thursday night, this time, is five megatrends to shape our world. We have Martín Lustó, the former economics minister of For Argentina. Argentina yeah, yeah. We have Marla, your friend, Ducaran. Uh, fantastic. Okay. We have Annabelle Williams, fantastic English writer, economist who's come up with a great book as Why Women Are Poorer Than Men. And it's a really oh, brilliant, simple right. book that goes on every single metric Women get paid less than men. It's a really simple book and it goes through the whole thing. Why is this? And she's doing her own gig on Sunday on this particular, she's on this and it's all manfully, manfully emceed by the great Barry Murphy. Oh, brilliant. Gunter himself, the great Barry Murphy. So that's kicking off Friday, Thursday. We also have inflation, interest rates, central banks, a perfect storm. What's going on with inflation? That is also Thursday. That is now Paul McCulley. Hey, preacher Paul. Yeah. Sonny Kapoor and
2: Bill Black. Oh man, that is a lineup. That and a is half. in
0: Clears, ten o'clock, manfully mc by myself. <laughs> so I just gotta sit down <laughs> just and see, wind them up and let them. I'm just go. gonna wind them up and let them go. So imagine it. Paul McCulley, Bill Black, and Sonny Kapoor in the back of Clear's pub. That's a great us one. That's gonna That's a happen. really good one. That's all the Thursday and then Friday we've lots more. Saturday we've lots more. And of course, Friday we have
2: well, the highlight, the surely, surely Matt.
0: The highlight, the highlight, the appearance of one John Davis at Gilcanomics. <laughs> Arriving on stage, Absolutely. absorbing the crowd. Neither an
2: economist nor a, a comedian, but I'll be there. Perfect.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. He's going to be coming out. He's going to be the thin, white duke. He's going to be in his David Bowie, maybe Aladdin Sane. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. He's going to be some sort of alter ego is going to arrive at... Full on makeup, yes. Yeah, so full on makeup, exactly, exactly. But anyway, so that's all. Kilconomics.com. Have a gander. We've gone really, really global this time. We're gonna deal with global housing, which we're gonna talk about today. We're also gonna deal with Irish housing. We're also gonna deal with what the next government looks like. We're also gonna imagine if you were the finance minister, what you would do. We've all sorts of local national issues, but we also have, I've always said, and podcasts has always maintained, look, we're a small country. In a very large, large world, which we're integrated to. So in order to get the big picture, you have to bring in people from outside.
2: Absolutely. And get their world view. Absolutely, yep.
0: And in fact, we are going to be talking about global housing markets in a couple of minutes. But the other thing that's been getting me this last day or two, John, is I am listening to the Arctic Monkeys (laughs) new... New record, we're old enough to say records, record record, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, long, long player, Co- long player called <laughs> ULP. It is magnificent,
2: it is. Yeah. I've heard a few tunes from it and it sounds
0: fantastic, but it's a completely new departure. It's a totally different, this is the extraordinary of strings and everything, it's loads gorgeous strings and it's loungy. I feel like yeah, a lounge yeah. lizard, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm lounging around, but it's, it's really very good, and I'm writing at the moment about all sorts of mad stuff, and uh, I don't know about you, some of the listeners. If you write, maybe you're a bit like me, you need music in the background. I'm one of these people that needs noise behind me to write. And it's very weird, lo- isn't it? Very
2: loud I, music. I can't. I, like I, As you know, I love music, but I can't. When I'm listening to music, I'm listening to music. That's interesting. I, I can what, cook with music, but that's about it. Well,
0: the best thing is I can't cook at all. <laughs> well, <I> can, <laughs> you give me music. True. That is me, true. That is true, actually. Anyway, John, that that interests me. I'm also interested in catching, and we're going to be talking about it next week on the podcast to Angelica Young. What is happening in China? Yes, fascinating. yes, we need to
2: catch up on that.
0: It's very, very, it's fascinating. The Xi has just taken complete control. And China's on a totally different tra- marched trajectory. Marched out
2: the other fellow. Who? Yeah, Hey yeah.
0: you. Exactly. <laughs> marched out. Yeah,
2: marched out. It was so not pleasant at all. You just going- wonder where he is now.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, exactly. He's yeah. in a stripy, a stripy suit <laughs> yeah. in some place. But we're going to be talking China next week on the podcast. And we're also going to talk about Kilkenomics. So just on Kilkenomics, have a gander, kilkenomics.com. Hope to see you there. Kilkenny this time next week and for the weekend. And we end on Sunday night, the 6th of November. Okay, Mark, we're going to talk about housing
2: today and global housing. But before we get to that, I just want to ask you, last week, there were new rules or the relaxing of the rules brought in by the central bank with regards to mortgage lending. So what they've done is they've increased from three and a half times their salary to four times their salary, basically making it more affordable for people to buy houses or buy more expensive houses. Yeah. But is that a good idea? You know, is that going to fuel the prices, the house prices?
0: John, it sounds very harsh, but I've always maintained: when the Central Bank of Ireland says black, you you say white. (laughs) When they say go, you say stop. When they say everything's okay, you panic, right?
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. No, really, I'm seriously. The Central Bank of Ireland is probably the country's leading counter cyclical indicator. Right? You do the opposite to what they say. The world has just experienced a shift from a regime of very low interest rates to what looks like a regime of quite high interest rates, right? What that means is all asset prices are going to fall, right? When you go from an interest rate of one to an interest rate of five, right, which is where the United States are going, the US is the risk-free rate of capital around the world, right? When you're doing that, they might even go to six, right? All bets are off for asset prices. Just at that time, what the Irish central bank says, do you know what? You can borrow even more. Mm, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> this is like, this, is, this, is, this is like people with their heads in the clouds, right? What it actually means is that the average person will be able to borrow more to chase up the price of the same house. Yeah, because okay? there's no more supply. There's not more supply. <laughs> yeah. So what they're doing is they're basically saying to builders, look, don't worry, we'll look after you. Developers, we'll look after you. Banks, don't worry, we'll give you more business. And Who's going to pay? The local punter. Now, one of the most critical, and I think learning macroeconomics important ideas, we've talked about it before on the podcast, is this idea of the paradox of aggregation, mm. which is that economics is counterintuitive, right? This is a really important thing to appreciate. And once you get into crowds, right, mm. the notion that macroeconomics is just a big version of microeconomics is completely wrong macroeconomics is a crowd phenomenon, right? and therefore what we do as crowds makes a difference. Different rules apply. Different rules apply. So basically the key rule in crowd economics is this idea of the paradox of aggregation, which is the following. What is good for the individual is not always good for the collective. And the great example is when somebody stands up at a football match to get a better view Yes. What they only do is they compromise the view of the fellow behind them and the fellow behind them and the fellow behind them. And suddenly after a while, everyone's standing up when when we'd all pay to sit.
2: It's like a reverse domino effect.
0: It's exactly like a reverse domino effect. So think of that, the idea of you're at a football match, somebody stands up in front of you, right? The actual ripple effect is that everybody ends up watching the same game with the same view, but we're now standing when we paid to sit. So nobody's better off. Okay. So think now what's good, the central bank here, right? If they'd said to John Davis, John Davis uniquely can get four times his salary, while everybody else still gets three times their salary, right? That means John has more cash. The price of houses stays the same because it's dictated by the average, not by the extra guy, the one individual, right? So house prices stay the same. You're able to borrow more. You get access to better houses.
2: Mm. We figure that out, right?
0: However, if John gets more access to more cash. But everybody else does. It cancels out your advantage. Yeah. It cancels out everyone's advantage. Yeah. And all it means is that everybody is paying more yeah. for the same house. Now... The bar's just risen. The bar's just risen. Yeah. we are all standing in <laughs> Lansdowne Road. Yeah. Okay. In the West Lower. The West Lower. Okay. No, they, they never stand. Oh, yeah, of course they never stand. So. <laughs> They've got whoopee cushions underneath them. Rich whoopee cushions full of money and hot air. Right? Okay. Blankets for their knees. <laughs> Blankets for the knees. Exactly. Exactly. But... So Tarquin. God, we've, got to, we've got to go back to Tarquin. We haven't mentioned Tarquin. <laughs> he should be for a while. over soon, I'm sure I'm sure. Look, you know, there's a lot of Tarquin stuff going on in the Irish financial markets. We'll have to actually go and have a look at that again. Yeah, yeah. So imagine that everybody's advantage is cancelled out. So who wins? Not the mortgage holder. The builder, the developer, win because they can charge more prices. The banks win because they can lend out more money. The government wins because it takes more tax, higher mm. VAT on, yep. on, on the thing. Yep. The punter loses because all the punter does is get into more debt. Now, if you are increasing the propensity to borrow at a time when the rate of interest is falling, that could be regarded as quite interesting. It's kind of opportune.
2: Yes. But if you're
0: increasing the incentive, the availability, and now the compulsion to borrow more, because if everybody else is borrowing more, you've got to borrow more. (laughs) Yeah. At a time when interest rates are going from one to five, you're destroying people's balance sheets. This is exactly what the Central Bank of Ireland... Central Bank of Ireland, the institution that is supposed to look after... Think about Jesus this. Jesus, The prudential balance sheet of the Irish nation has just made it almost certain yeah. that the balance sheet of the Irish nation will be worse, not better, after this, right? And the worst thing about it is they're patting each other on the back. Yeah, yeah. To be Magaloof. Great, like, are, we, are we great, <laughs> exactly, right? So I think... This is again a great example of policy making in a vacuum. Policy making has to be seen in the context of what's happening all around the world. That's why it demands wisdom, not rules.
2: Yes, the idea of
0: rules versus discretion. Like rules, yeah, fine. Anybody can follow a rule, but the idea is the discretion. When do you say yes, no? When do you go for something? When do you not go for something? Now. For the Irish property market, what we will see is this will increase prices quite significantly mm. initially, right? Yeah. And the worst thing is, this would be like Roadrunner. It's a, yet another little... Property markets are falling all around the world. That's that's the, the next three or four years we're talking the end... The, not the end of, we're talking a significant fall in property prices. We're going to hear this now, right? What Ireland has just done is it has actually... Tinkered with the local market to such an extent that when property prices are falling all around the world, Ireland might rise for a little bit. And then, like the roadrunner, it'll realise it's run off the Ooh, cliff. Look down. Look down. Yeah. And the fall will be more precipitous next year. So as we said a while ago, don't touch it. Yeah. Remember the buyer strike we were talking absolutely, about? Absolutely. Yeah, don't absolutely. touch it. Okay. It is toxic. It's been made more toxic by the central bank. And as I said at the very top, you know. Whatever they are doing, do the opposite and you'll be fine. Well, now
2: that's a good time to actually have a look at outside of Ireland and the global property market.
0: Absolutely. Very good time. Now, this week, The Economist magazine published a fantastically interesting, big piece yeah. on what it described as the coming crash in global housing markets. Okay. Okay. We're going to call it the Halloween Horror <laughs> for Housing, okay? okay? Because next week's Halloween. And yeah, indeed. Exactly. Halloween comes from Ireland. doesn't come <laughs> from America. comes from Ireland. We brought it to them. And we have the woman who wrote that piece. So it's not just only our know, comedy with the actual person yeah. who wrote this piece. whose name is Vingeru Nkandawiri. Okay, that's my basic, my Malawian expression. It okay? just trips off the tongue, Mark. Yeah, but she's also married to a fellow from Marino. Yeah. So she's one of us, more <laughs> or less. So let's go to London. Let's talk to Vingeru. Now, as you know, the housing market is something that people, not just in Ireland, but all over the world, it's probably the only financial asset that people worry about because it's our homes. And homes means a totally different relationship with the world of finance, with the world of economics, with the world of interest rates, with the world of prices going up and down because it profoundly, profoundly affects all of us. And when the housing market goes up, The economy goes up because everyone feels wealthy and happy and rich and all is going well. Are those who have houses? When the housing market goes down and falls, the opposite occurs. And also, as you know in Ireland, and we've been banging on about this for a long, long time, there is a massive generational gap between those who own houses which tend to be older and richer, and those who want to own houses who tend to be poorer, younger, and at a different stage in their career. Now, this week, the Economist magazine has written a, an incredibly interesting piece. And the author of that, Vingiru weary. and I know that your mother-in-law's from Marino, your fella's from Marino. I'm telling if, you know, <laughs> this is just my my Malawian pronunciation isn't quite as accurate as it should be. But, uh, Vingeru, listen, you are very, very welcome to the show. The piece was extraordinary. It was fascinating. It was unbelievably well-researched, well-written. And the, the message is not particularly bright, so... Explain to me, you started this piece in Australia, in Sydney. Explain to me what's going on in global housing markets and why you think, according to the piece, that we're in for an extremely, extremely nasty squeeze in the next year or two.
3: Well, thanks for having me, David. I'm happy to be here. Great um, stuff. So, globally, The sharp rise in mortgage rates is crushing demand for homes. So sales are cooling, bidding wars are easing, and markets are essentially gumming up. And that's because as central banks try to rein in inflation, they're raising interest rates at the fastest pace in at least four decades. And that's translating into carnage in the housing markets. So a year ago, the 30-year fixed rate mortgage in America was below 3%. Today, it's just under 7%. In New Zealand, wow. mortgage rates have passed 7% for the first time in eight years. And in Britain, the averaged five-year fixed rate loan now exceeds 6% for the first time in about a dozen years. And I think also in Ireland, under the new lending rules, it means that couples you know, will end up paying even more of their income on repayments if interest rates continue to go up. And that will make yeah. life more difficult for people that are looking to buy as well as homeowners. So it's worth bearing in mind that we're dealing with a generation of buyers that's become so accustomed to low interest rates, essentially cheap money. Exactly. So, exactly. So any shift in rates will come as a real shock to household finances.
0: Now it's fascinating in the piece you went through certain places. We'll come back to Ireland in a sec because as you know, you know, we're married to one of us we can be very narcissistic. We always want to talk about ourselves first, right? But let's park <laughs> ourselves for a wee while, okay? We'll come back to this benighted isle in a sec. But let's go. You're talking about the Canadians, the New Zealanders I mean, a lot of a lot of friends of mine emigrated to New Zealand a long, long time ago and we're still chatting away with a WhatsApp group. One of them, They've gone on and on and friends of ours in Australia have gone on and on about the crave easy crazy housing markets down there give me an example of what's going on in that part of the world then canada then the states and then we can come back here
3: yeah so what's happening just to give you a bit of background prices rose for years after the financial crisis in several rich economies and then they went ballistic during the pandemic so last year globally house prices rose at their fastest pace since 2005 And one in three countries experienced double-digit annual price growth. Now they're reversing course, and we're seeing this in the most overheated markets, some of which you've already mentioned. So places like Canada and Sweden, house prices have fallen by around 8% since February. In New Zealand, they've fallen by more than 12% since their peak last year. They've fallen by a crazy amount in Australia as well. In Britain and the US, prices have begun to slide, but the drops are still quite small at this point. But many other countries are heading in the same direction. I don't think they've fallen... Quite yet in Ireland, uh, last time I checked, but they certainly seem to be cooling from their pandemic highs. Well,
0: well it's interesting. I play football with a well-known uh, estate agent uh, who from around this neck of the woods, who will remain nameless. One of a fine striker, maybe past past his peak, but uh, certainly certainly a man who's, who can who can move a bit in the park. And and we chat about it at, at, at halftime, and he's been telling me that. Yeah, just demand uh, of inquiries. Everything is just kind of not falling off a cliff, but really eased up here over the last. Uh, he said, since the summer, there's been a yeah. complete a complete change in the mentality of, of 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 punters. And he said, obviously, you'll see that coming through. You know, in a few months' time, or in the data next 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 year, beginning of next year. But let's let's look at so the lockdown had this bizarre effect all over the world. Now, explain to me mm-hmm. what you thought was going on because this this was something. Had you said uh, you know, we're going to lock the economy down. We're going to put you all in out of a job. We're going to give you welfare to keep you on the straight and narrow. But we're not really sure how this thing's going to pan out. Everyone has said, well, the first thing going to fall are house prices because people get really nervous. But the opposite happened. What do you think was going on?
3: Yeah. So essentially, during the pandemic, uh, housing markets went crazy—the opposite of what everyone expected. So. The first thing to say is that rock bottom mortgage rates for years made homes affordable while lockdown savings helped first time buyers stump up deposits, essentially. And at the same time, you had that shift to remote work and longer hours being spent at home that led to more people moving house, often to larger suburban properties with gardens or home offices. And several governments, such as the UK, who were worried about the housing crunch as COVID spread, temporarily eased or removed mortgage regulations. And that made it even easier to buy homes. And on top of all of that, investors of all sizes fueled the housing frenzy. So from large corporations and individual home flippers to sort of buyers from big cities, that became absentee landlords in cheaper towns. So in the US, large and small investors purchased close to one in five homes in 2021. And by July this year, it was nearly one in three. And while all of this was happening, the chronic housing shortages, a lot of these countries have had historically across the US and Canada, the UK, Ireland. like
0: here, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
3: All of those shortages were exacerbated by the supply chain backlogs that made shipping doors and windows and building materials more costly. And at the same time, we had the great resignation, which everyone's read about in the press, where a record number of workers quit their jobs. That led to a scarcity of bricklayers and carpenters and other tradesmen leaving home builders with vastly more orders than they could fulfill. Many responded, actually, by restricting sales or turning work away. We know this happened in the US. And that widened the already sizable gulf between demand and supply. And that market imbalance is what led to the record house prices that we saw around the world.
0: Now, that's interesting. You know, the story you're telling this time last year, maybe even a wee bit before, a lot of people were asking the podcast what we should do. And I remember saying that, we, you know, young people need to go on a buyer's strike. Okay, do not pay these prices. These prices are ridiculous. They're far too high. The ratio of take-home income to household debt is far too high. Who knows what's going to happen? Yet, the interesting thing is lots and lots of people, and this is the real dilemma about housing, is that it's not a financial asset in a way. It's your home. So, you know, you, you maybe you, you settle down, you have a kid, you're you in that phase of your life where you think, I want to move on. I want to move out of a rental place. I want my own nest, et cetera. And a, a significant proportion of the population is now stuck and caught because people did buy, despite all this in the last two or three years. They did leverage up. They did Get the deposit together, and they they, they kind of beg, stealed, and borrowed to get it wherever they wanted. And now, what we're looking at is a turn in the market. Now, your article has put sort of three ideas here. You said the steepness of this fall and the incident of where it hurts are going to be one the scale of the surge, so how much prices went up in the last couple of years. Two is the scale of the debts associated with that, and three is the speed of the interest rate transmission. Yeah, can you explain those to me?
3: Yeah, sure. So so the first thing I'll say is one thing um, before I get to those three factors, one thing that will affect everybody is this cost of living crisis, particularly with higher energy bills right across Europe. And so that will stretch household finances. But in terms of which markets are most at risk, the first factor that we looked at in my piece is the recent price growth. So in countries where prices have surged the most since the pandemic began are especially vulnerable to cooling demand. And this is particularly true for the U.S. and Canada. While many rich countries slowed to annual growth rates in the single digits at the beginning of this year, America and Canada maintained their double-digit rises, and that was driven by a surge, you know, huge amount of demand, we already talked about that, for housing in the mountain towns and sunbelt states that attracted Californians and New Yorkers during the pandemic, along with demand in cities like Toronto. And the second factor is borrowing levels. So the higher household debt is as a share of income, the more vulnerable owners are Mm -hmm. to higher mortgage payments. So, on the one hand, household debt looks relatively low in places like America and Britain and Spain compared to where it was during the financial crisis. But on the other hand, some countries face a mountain of debt, and this makes them sensitive to even small rises in mortgage rates. And in this bracket, you've got Australia, Canada, Sweden, a couple of others. And what's interesting is they managed to escape the full brunt of the financial crisis and came out of it relatively unscathed, unlike Ireland. But since then, they've run up huge amounts of household debt in the years since. And that's prompted warnings from financial watchdogs. You know, I think the governor of Sweden's central bank at one point compared the staggering amounts of debt in Sweden to sitting on top of a volcano. So that's a potential this, area. This, this, this is the
0: normally, yes, no, absolutely. Yeah. You know, These are the normally stayed... Nordics who are not given to flamboyant descriptions are, exactly. uh, you know. Yeah, so he said we're sitting on top of a volcano. The interesting thing about the Swedes is you look historically, the Swedes, despite being an extremely brilliant race when it comes to producing all sorts of goods and services, innovations, they're so brilliant high tech now, they have a weakness for the banking stroke housing boom bust that they got away with last time. But they have a weakness. They did a really big one in the early 90s. They contributed enormously to the Estonian housing bust in the 2008s. So now, now they're kind of sitting, as he says, on this volcano. So are the Canadians. I see the Bank of Canada has forecast a 40% fall in house prices. That's that's extraordinary, that figure, from a central um, bank.
3: Sorry, that that's a 40% fall in sales. I think ah, okay. the house, but that would be even more severe than during the financial crisis. The house price forecast, for Canada i think is sitting somewhere around 15% i'd i'd have to double check
0: but yeah but 40% sales is a, it's a, it's a huge fall off in in activity exactly
3: exactly it's massive and then and then the third factor as well which you picked up on is the speed with which higher interest rates pass on to to homeowners so that's that's to do with things like variable interest rates which fluctuate with changes in policy so people that haven't locked in interest rates face an instant hit to their incomes This is less of an issue in the U.S. where 30-year fixed-rate mortgages are normal. But in Canada, variable-rate mortgages account for more than half of all loans. In Australia and Sweden, they account for nearly two-thirds. And strikingly, lending in Finland is almost entirely priced at floating rates.
0: So the pass-through is immediate now for those guys?
3: Exactly. Exactly. And in, in places like Finland. So that that's going to be an immediate hit to households there. Whereas in places where the fixed periods are short, it merely delays the pain, but the pain will come. So in New Zealand, fixed rate mortgages make up the bulk of existing loans, but more than 70% are fixed for less than a year. So that's a really short period. In so the Britain, rollover is
0: going to be like this time next year and they're going to be exactly. stammed.
3: Exactly. That's, that's, and in Britain and Ireland, I think it's around the same. I think it's around two years.
0: Yeah, we're ridiculous in, in in Ireland that we borrow long, i.e. we borrow for 30 years, but we actually lend, i.e. the banks lend short for two years on variable rates. So that, that always has, despite having had this monumental crash and banking failure, we still have this ridiculous anomaly at the core of our mortgage market, which means the banks, the lenders, can actually end up in a disastrous position. Again, if house prices fall, let us move on to the politics of this, to the generational impact. So the older, the middle age and upwards are not that affected. It's the younger, younger workers, younger families, younger commuters, that the people who are going to bear the brunt of all
1: this.
3: Yeah. I mean, that that's exactly it. First time buyers and recent borrowers are especially vulnerable many stretch their finances to buy a home during the pandemic. And so that leaves them with less spare cash to cover that jump in mortgage costs. If you look at the US, for example, first-time buyers accounted for one in three sales last year. And the problem is that many of these buyers have insufficient savings.
0: Yeah, no, of course they have, because they've, they've spent all their money in the bloody house. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's right. exactly. exactly.
3: And they've also, they've also had less time to accumulate equity. So one study that I came across found that a 15% drop in house prices in the US over a year would cancel out two thirds of the equity accumulated since the start of the pandemic. And so any millennials really in a lot of these overheated markets who finally managed to get on the property ladder during the pandemic may be in for a nasty surprise.
0: Wow. Now, listen, before I go, I mean, you're aware, obviously, you're married into an Irish family. You're aware that this is a the hot topic in economics over here in politics. It's very much at the core of the rise of Sinn Féin. Younger people saying, hold on a second, housing is the only issue. If the established parties can't deliver, let's give these new guys a chance. So this dynamic is happening in Ireland, it's playing itself out in politics. God knows what's going to play out in politics in the United Kingdom. God knows what's (laughs) going to play out in politics in the the United States, which is hardly a, a bed of roses either. You know, when you're talking to your Irish family, what, what what sense do you get of this place?
3: Yeah, I mean, there's serious political implications depending on which party steps in. And, you know, that that that's not limited to Ireland. In the US and Canada, you're seeing sort of governments looking for ways that they can step in to help. Nothing that's been announced yet, but you've seen that Hungary's government, for example, has offered people protection from rising mortgage rates. The IMF has suggested that the government in New Zealand should think about some sort of state support. The UK calls are growing and in Spain, banks are considering measures there. You know, of course, no government wants to see people lose their homes. It's also not great for getting votes. So many will be tempted to come to the rescue, essentially. And if that happens, government debt will continue to rise. And the economists view is that that does little essentially to solve the fundamental problem in housing markets, which even before the pandemic had led to a global crisis and the availability of affordable housing.
0: So it's kind of still build, build, build. But the problem with build, build, the interesting thing, actually, and I'm going to discuss this with John afterwards, is there is an opportunity for the state to take advantage of a fall in housing Prices and housing costs, etc., and say, okay, we are now going to roll out a state house building scheme that is going to, rather than because because typically happens is when a housing market collapses, housing construction collapses too, because nobody has got mm-hmm. the money. The developers go bust. The banks get nervous, etc. So there is an opportunity for a government to actually say, okay, we're going to build and we're going to build for the next 20 years. But the chances of that taking them are probably going to be moderated by their fiscal outlook, by their budget deficits, et cetera. And, and just in terms of the, the your view of injury, now you've looked at the whole thing. How do you think this plays out in the next year or two?
3: I think this puts governments in a really tricky situation. Obviously, the long-term response is to build more housing. But that's much easier said than done. You could try to relax planning rules as the UK tried to do. And that became really toxic for them politically under Boris Johnson's government. And so I it, it's difficult to tell just which way this will go. And, and don't forget that we're still going to be facing supply chain backlogs, you know that the cost of building materials is still quite high and so even if governments wanted to build more the shortages in labor and shortages in building materials means that they might not be able to hit their targets just yet i saw a really interesting stat by a paper in the us which said that if housing supply had increased by as much as thirty percent during the pandemic, it still wouldn't have been enough to meet demand. So there's a there's a huge amount of housing that needs to be done. And the challenge is how to make it work, essentially. And I I think that's one that governments will be grappling with for for quite a while
0: this is something that John and I will actually obviously offer a solution for the end of the podcast. Of course, The yeah. entire thing. Vingeru, <laughs> <laughs> really this I'd was an, a, <laughs> an absolute joy to talk to you. Now that you're part of the gang and you've got the Marino family up the road, should we have you on <laughs> every second week at this stage?
3: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me.
0: John is now petrified over there. He's a large, extensive... Property portfolio. Absolutely. To many continents. John, a walking
2: reach, Davis. But you know, the interesting thing is we tend to think of the housing problem as purely an Irish problem. But it's not. It's a global problem. It's a global problem. But let's have a talk about that after we pay the bills. Paying the
0: bills is very important.
1: Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat.
2: To get
1: started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
2: So one of the things that Vindru said there was, <laughs> which I thought was kind of interesting, was uh, Sweden sitting on top of a debt volcano. And you yeah. think of Sweden. You well, Sorry, you don't think of Sweden.
0: As sitting on top of any <laughs> volcanoes. They're <laughs> supposed to be chilled. Yeah, they're supposed to be chilled. And they're supposed to be extraordinarily prudent with their, their brass. But the, the Swedes are not. Yeah. The Swedes love a housing boom. They love a banking boom. They had a massive one. I think I said it to Vindaroo. They had a massive one in the 90s. Like a huge, huge... Mm. Sweden and Finland, the most extraordinary property boom-bust late 80s, early 90s.
1: Then right, they said, we okay. won't do
0: that again. We won't do that again. But what the Swedes did, they started to lend the Estonians and the Latvians and all the Baltics. Okay. So when they had a property crash in 08, it was the Swedes' fingerprints were all over them, like King Gustav, who used to go out <laughs> to invade. It's true. The Swedes were great right. scrappers in the old days, right? Yeah, they were. Yeah, they were yeah. great absolutely. scrappers. And they were scrapping with Russia, yeah. right? Actually, you have a scrap now. You, you take your man on easy. Absolutely. Come and have a go if you think you're hard enough, flat. <laughs> okay, but... Yeah, so the Swedes, and now they're at it again. But it's, but, you, but, it, but you're right. It's a, it is a global phenomenon. The with, Canadians are in a terrible. Yeah,
2: but but with the rising interest rates yeah. globally,
0: th- that offers some opportunities as well, as you mentioned. I think we're basically what we're going to do. Right, a mistake that many countries made after 2008 and 2009, 2010, when the housing market collapsed, when the price of land and houses collapsed, the states also at the time their revenue collapsed. So states were running massive big budget deficits. Mm. Don't forget we had the IMF in here. But that time was the time to buy land and to build council houses, right? The idea, you know, that that great idea is, you know, sometimes the worst of decisions are taken in the best of times. Yes, yeah. And the best decisions are taken in what feels like the worst of times. Right? So if we're going to go into a global downturn, right? This is just for Ireland. Forget the rest of the world because, mm. you know, frankly, we live here, right? Mm. <laughs> now, if this is what happens, it's our country, okay? <laughs> you know, we've got to figure this, our own shit out, right? If this is going to happen here, if Irish house prices and land prices collapse, if certain developers go to the wall, if certain builders go to the wall, if there is now a surplus of plumbers, tradesmen, electricians, builders, bricklayers, etc., right? The state needs to take this opportunity. That's the time. You buy up everything. Mm. You borrow in the international markets and you buy up every single piece of housing asset. And then what you do is you start building. And what building does then is, A, increase the supply of housing, but B, it actually boosts the economy. Because basically, the business cycle is the housing cycle. Yes. So there is a always silver lining here. And the silver lining is, if we are going into the type of downturn that Vinjeru articulated, if we are going to make these mistakes, this is now the time for the state not to intervene now, to just let it happen, safe in the knowledge that they have a plan B. And the plan B, John, it's this time next year, this time two years, buy up everything and begin the process of building social houses for people at affordable rents or affordable prices so that accommodation never becomes the problem that it is now.